This evening we're going to consider Article 33 of the Belgic Confession on the sacraments. We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses both what he enables us to understand by his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts, confirming in us the salvation he imparts to us. For they are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they are not empty and hollow signs to fool and deceive us, for their truth is Jesus Christ, without whom they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments that Christ our Master has ordained for us. There are only two, the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. Amen. This we confess and we believe. Let's pray before we come to consider the sacraments. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for your mercy and your grace upon us. Father, we want to thank you that you do know our frame. You know what, exactly what we're like, and you know what we need. So, Father, as we consider these two wonderful gifts of grace that you've given to us, baptism and the Lord's Supper, as we consider them generally in that sense, we pray, O oh Lord our God, that we would be encouraged motivated to serve you more, to love you more, but also to attend faithfully to both of these sacraments, to understand what baptism is, and also the blessing of the Lord's Supper. We ask this, not that just that we might be strengthened, which we will be, but above all, that you will be glorified. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, the five solas of the Reformation, that is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by Scripture alone, to the grace of God alone, helps to distinguish Protestant truths from Rome, Roman Catholic dogma. However, not only do we reject, if you like, Rome, the Roman view of salvation, but we also reject the Roman view the baptism, for example, truly places someone in a state of grace. The baptism itself saves. So reformed truth, biblical truth, rejects the baptism itself saves. Nor do we believe that in the Lord's Supper there is any change, seen or unseen, to the bread or the wine that results in a literal eating of the body or drinking of the blood of Christ. So we reject what Rome has to say about the sacraments. But Reformed doctrine also rejects the idea that baptism and the Lord's Supper are really empty signs that don't really do anything. We also reject that. We say that they are very meaningful. There's purpose behind them. There's a reason behind them. Which, And, and let's be honest, most of evangelicalism today perceives these signs almost as empty signs. I may not actually say it, but really, 
what they're saying is they're empty. So what are the sacraments for? Why do we baptize? Why do we celebrate the Feast of the Lord's Supper? How do they help us? And does it matter if we don't participate in them? Does it matter if we're not baptized? Does it matter if, as a believer, we don't take the Lord's Supper? And that's what we're going to consider a little bit this evening. It's really going to be a general overview. There's much more in each individual sacrament. Um, If you continue reading in the Belgic Confession, it will give you much more detail on the individual sacraments. We're going to look generally at what sacraments are. So first of all, we need to understand this. The sacraments are given to the church. They're given to the church. The Apostle Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 10, 17 that we read together. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The communion feast cannot be taken individually by ourselves, separate from the church, because we we are one body. Not that I am one body, we are one body. It seems strange to have to say this, to remind people of this, but throughout the COVID restrictions, when many churches continued online, even when churches were able to meet together, uh, there were a number, they, number of churches operated what they called online communion services, where individuals in their own home used whatever they had in their own home and at the prescribed time ate and drank, and pretended, and I use that word advisedly, pretended that it was Lord's Supper, and it was a pretense. Although done sincerely, we need to understand this, and they, many churches did this, and it was done sincerely. But it arose mainly due to a long-standing misunderstanding of the sacraments. As Luther accused Zwingli so many years ago, during the time of the Reformation, that all that really what Luther accuses Vingley of saying, particularly about the Lord's Supper, was just an empty sign. It means nothing. And that's really how most people view these things. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, as Paul outlines how the Lord's Supper should be conducted, the church in Corinth was a mess in the way that they operated. They allowed sin, um, sinful people just to ride roughshod, they didn't discipline anybody, and particularly when it came to the Lord's Supper, it was just a, a mess, a mess. And you, we can read this more in detail in chapter 11. But Paul outlines how the Lord's Supper should be conducted. And he says this, when you come together, talking about the Lord's Supper, when you come together, not while you're out there doing it by yourself, because that was really what the issue was. Although there was held at the, in the church building, people would come individually and take bread and try, take and drink the wine, before others would be there. They wouldn't take it together. They would take it individually. So much so that Paul said, the first people who were there drank so much wine that they were getting drunk on the communion wine. They didn't leave anything for anybody else. Paul says, it's a scandal. No, it's when you come together. You take it together. We cannot take it just apart or individually just when we feel like it. The Lord's Supper can only be properly administered when you come together. It's an ordinance given to the church. But likewise, baptism. I can say this because I come from a Baptist, a credo-Baptist background. Uh, And uh, for many of our credo-Baptist brothers and sisters, they fundamentally misunderstand baptism. 
Just understand the point of it. And for many of them, it's just a, a sign of personal faith. It says, as long as I profess faith, then I can take baptism. And for them, therefore, it can be done outside of the church. The church is unimportant when it comes to baptism because it's about personal faith, not about corporate faith or corporate witness. And so it can be done outside of the church. It can be conducted by anybody. But as the next article on baptism in the Belgian Confession states, by baptism, we're told, we are received into what? Into God's church. It's not an individual thing. We're received into God's church and set apart from all other people and alien religions. How can the church welcome those who are baptized if the church isn't present? And if the minister doesn't conduct the baptism? In the midst of the rise of individualism amongst Christians and amongst churches today, saying that I can do what I want, I can do whatever I want, the sacraments are actually a healthy reminder that we're actually part of the community of God. And they were joined together in Christ. See, all around us says, as long as you're happy, that's okay. But what the sacraments, one of the things the sacraments do is say, actually, no. This is what God has given to us. Not just to you. It is a, an individual, but there is an individual benefit. Of course there is. But the sacraments, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, are given to us. Given to the church. Given for the church as a whole benefit, as well as our individual benefit as well. So, first of all, the sacraments are given to the church. But secondly, the sacraments are given because of our weakness. Because of our weakness. When God speaks, we must listen. When God speaks, we must listen. So we read the Ten Commandments today. We, you can just pick up a little bit, not fully. We need to read more, but we pick up on the drama that was going on at Mount Sinai as the voice of God was heard. That's what's so unique about the Ten Commandments. God spoke. The people heard the voice of God. And obviously then he actually wrote them down as well, which makes the commandments so unique in that sense. So the voice of God was heard, as well as, for example, the audible voice of the Father at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of these events underline the significance of the word of God, as we know. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He's the word become flesh. See, God is the all-powerful, all-majestic, holy God. And he is far above us. And that's what the people at Sinai recognized. And they cried out and they said, Who has heard the voice of God and lived? They understood the special uh, uniqueness of that situation. That when God spoke audibly, who can live? Because they realized that they were in the very presence of Almighty, the thrice holy God. The one who is not just holy or holier than us, but is the absolute holiest. As Isaiah found, Isaiah found, I would say, Isaiah, you would say, say, Isaiah found when he heard the cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's what the people of Mount Sinai experienced. They experienced the very presence of Almighty God. And they said, we can't hear God anymore because we will not 
be able to live. And we need to, we need to understand that God is, is the all-powerful, majestic God. And so in order for him to be able to effectively communicate with us, his creatures, he must and he does accommodate himself to us. He doesn't change who he is, but for sure he accommodates himself to us so that we're able to understand. And he has given us his word, which we hear proclaimed week by week by week. And we believe firmly that God blesses his word and that the preaching of the word is the primary means by which God uses to transform us, as the Apostle Paul tells us in his epistle to the Romans. The preaching of the word is a primary means by which God uses to transform us. However, he knows us. And he knows that even as his people... Sin is crouching at the door, so to speak. And we too easily forget his word and his promises. God has spoken. He's revealed to us in his word. We hear his word proclaimed, and yet so easily we can forget it. And so what God has done is graciously, he gives us these visible, tangible signs that underline his promises and to assure us of his goodness and his faithfulness. They are, as our confession says, added to the word. They're never separate from the word. They're always accompanied by the preached word, by the word of God. But as they impact our external senses, touch, taste, sight, for example, so, as our confession says, they represent better to us what God actually does inwardly. See, God understands that we're earthbound creatures at the moment. And what the um, preaching of the word is, is fundamentally a spiritual activity where God, by his Holy Spirit, uses what is spoken, his Holy Spirit then applies to us and changes us within. Holy Spirit, for example, in regeneration, gives us that new life. We're given the, the grace and the gift of faith to come to faith in Christ. All these are activities of the Holy Spirit that happen inside, invisible to us, so often unknown to us until we see the consequences. And so these spiritual works are so often hard for us to really grasp because we're tangible. We like to touch things. We like to taste things. We like to see things and hear things. And so what God has given to us in a Gracious act. It has given us these signs and seals, these sacraments, to aid us in our faith, to strengthen us in our faith, to remind us that what he promises is happening inwardly by the Holy Spirit is truly happening. That God isn't telling lies. And so these outward signs aid us. In a perfect world, we would take God at his word and reject the doubting question of Satan, as he said to Adam and Eve, and continues to say to us, did God really say? Does God really mean what he says? But we're not perfect. We certainly don't live in a perfect world, but our good God is. And he helps us in our weakness. He sustains us in our weakness by giving us these external signs, these signs that are tangible, these signs that we can touch, these signs that we can feel, 
these signs that we can taste. All blessings to us. Thirdly, not only are the sacraments given to the church to benefit the community and the body of Christ, they're given because of our weakness, but they're also given to underline God's promises to us. The confession not only rejects the deadly errors of the Roman Catholic Church, as I mentioned earlier, but also the errors of the Anabaptists when it comes to the sacraments. They had reduced these two sites, in effect, to empty sites. So much so that one leader of the Anabaptists, Thomas Munster, said this, and I quote, We ought to ask for a sign from God. Keep on asking to be assured whether he cares for us and whether we own the true religion. If he does not give us a sign straight away, we ought to persist in prayer. I.e., keep on asking God for signs. Because what he's given isn't doing. As far as he was concerned, baptism didn't do anything. The Lord's Supper, well, take a tiny bit of bread. What can that do? Nothing. So he said, look, what God has given us is not enough. We keep, we need more signs. We need more experiences. We need more and more from God. Keep on asking. Because we don't even know. We can't even be sure, as according to him, that we're in the true faith. How can we know God keeps his promises? Unless we keep on receiving more and more and more and more and more. I mean, fundamentally, the modern day charismatics are doing the same thing with all their extra body experiences. That they have to keep on getting more and more ecstatic, more and more extreme. So we see, probably if any of you watch any YouTube videos or something like that. But it's the same kind of thing. What they're saying is this. What you've given to us, God, it's not enough. What you've given to us, God, doesn't do what it says. What you've given to us, God, is empty. What a terrible thing to say to God. God in his grace, who knows our weakness, who knows what we need, has given by his Son these two wonderful gifts of grace. Can we really turn back to God and say, you don't know what you're doing? What a terrible thing it is to be in that situation. However, when God gives gifts of grace to us, they're not empty, they're not meaningless, but they really do what he has given them to do. We don't need more signs. We need to receive the signs that he has given to us properly and faithfully. We need to understand why he's given us these two wonderful gifts. We need to understand. That's why we do need to dig deeper into what our confession, our catechism says about baptism. We do need to dig deeper to find out what our confession, our catechism says about the Lord's Supper. We need to read the scriptures. We need to understand because these gifts that God has given to us are not empty. They're not meaningless. But they really do sustain and help us. Baptisms, baptism and the Lord's Supper are visible signs, water, bread, and wine, each of it which represents what God actually does for us inwardly and invisibly. God really does regenerate. Which is why Titus, Paul could say to Titus when he spoke about the baptism of regeneration, not that the water itself regenerates, but the God through his Holy Spirit truly does regenerate us. The baptism symbolizes. Ultimately, baptism and the Lord's Supper, as our confession says, point to Christ. 
with whom they're nothing. They're empty if there's no Christ. They're empty if Christ is not our Savior. They're empty if Jesus isn't Lord. But because Jesus Christ is our Savior, because Jesus Christ is Lord, they're not empty. They actually do what they promise to do. They demonstrate the working of the Holy Spirit and the love of God our Father. You see, when we receive by faith these signs, they seal to us, they confirm to us that truly our sins are washed away, that we are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that we're given new life by the Holy Spirit. They confirm that Christ is our bread who feeds us. They confirm that Christ um, is our rock, if you will, as he was in those who were in the wilderness, who gave them living water. That's what Christ does. He is our rock from which we get the living water that we need. And they confirm that he is the one whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for us, for our sins on the cross. And God truly works through these signs. We truly do feed on Christ when we partake with faith. We truly are reassured that we are washed clean, that we're forgiven of our sins and have new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we focus and remember our baptism, understand what it is that God promises to do through the waters of baptism. The power is not in the sign, but in Christ himself. But they point to Christ. They seal to us. They confirm to us what Christ really does. As I've mentioned already, one of the most unfortunate disagreements among the early reformers was between Martin Luther and Zwingli on the Lord's Supper. Zwingli in Zurich and obviously Martin Luther in Wittenberg in Germany came together and they had a a meeting, a conflict, because they wanted to demonstrate the unity of the reformed faith in these different places as God was working. And they agreed on absolutely everything except the Lord's Supper. Absolutely everything except the Lord's Supper. And Martin Luther said to Zwingli, because Zwingli didn't believe in the consubstantiation, and I know that most Lutherans don't like that term, but I'm going to use it anyway, uh, of his view of the Lord's Supper. He said, no, all you're doing is making it an empty sign. So sharp was their disagreement that they parted without really being able to sign fully their concord, which is so very unfortunate. John Calvin in Geneva had disagreements with both. Although, in many ways, he actually agreed more with Zwingli than he did with Luther on the Lord's Supper. Or rather, he agreed more with Zwingli's successor, Bullinger. One of the problems that Zwingli had, I would suggest, is that his interpretation of the word sacrament. He interpreted it as oath from the Latin sacramentum, where Roman soldiers made a sacramentum or an oath to the emperor to serve faithfully. Zwingli said, that's how we need to look at the Lord's Supper in particular, how we need to look at these sacraments, that these are oaths that we make. But the reality is that the sacraments, whilst they do include our promise to serve, certainly in the Lord's Supper, it's much more about God's promise to us. Yes, for sure. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are identifying ourselves with Christ. 
When we eat the bread, we're saying that we are one with Christ, one with Christ. We drink his, we drink the cup. We're saying that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand with Jesus Christ. We are Christians in the true meaning of the word, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for sure, when we partake of the Lord's Supper especially, we are demonstrating, we're making promises to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But most importantly, the sacraments are promises of God. You see, he says in his word and in his sacraments, I will be your God. And so as we're baptized, and as we receive the bread and the wine and the Holy Supper, we're hearing God say to us, I will be your God. For sure we say, and we will be your people. But the initiative, the promise, and the power for us to be his children comes from God. Comes from God. He says, I will be your God. We truly respond we will be your people. We will be your children. But the power, the initiative, and the promise is from God. And God truly works in us. We are truly washed. We are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit. As baptism signifies. And Christ did die for our sins, as the Lord's Supper signifies. And he does truly nourish and strengthen us as we partake by faith. Again, I read this earlier this week as I was just uh, reading something. Uh, it's, it's talking about the presence of the Lord in the, in the supper. And he said, it's easier to experience than it is to talk about and explain. And it is. Because the nourishment and the feeding is spiritual. Yes, we physically eat, but that tiny piece of bread that we eat isn't going to satisfy us. Because almost all of us, I'm sure, go home after the supper and have something to eat. Because we know that that physical bread hasn't satisfied us physically. But that bread represents what Christ truly does for us as we partake by faith. We may leave without feeling any different. But what we need to know is that Christ feeds us. Christ nourishes us. He really does. You see, God doesn't give us things that don't mean anything. Truly, we're fed and nourished by Christ in the supper as we partake by faith. And we must be content with the two sacraments that Christ himself Ordained. As he said to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as he told them at the Last Supper, do this, remember me. Both commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we are satisfied with these two sacraments, these two signs, these two seals, because Christ himself ordain them. We don't need any more. We don't need more experiences in that sense. We need to invent more signs, more things that somehow we feel God will bless us if we keep on inventing these things. God has given to us, at the command of his beloved son, these two signs, these two seals, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they are enough. Always 
enough. Always enough. The signs of seals, as I said, they confirm to us God's promise. They're not empty. They actually do what they promise to do. And so don't neglect the signs. Don't neglect the seals. Because if we do, our faith is weakened. If we neglect these signs, if we neglect what God has given to us, our faith will be weakened. And if we neglect the signs, then we're never, not going to be strengthened and confirmed in our faith. And if we neglect these signs, we disobey our Lord Jesus Christ. Which goes back to what something that I said this morning. Where we say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And then we say, no thank you Lord. I don't want your signs. No, we can't do that. We cannot say, no Lord. And so if we neglect these signs, if we say, well, what's it matter whether I take this bread or not? But disobeying the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not going to be strengthened and confirmed in our faith. And we're going to actually be weakened. Because these are gifts of grace. Gifts that God has given to us. Gifts to help us. And if we neglect them, our faith will be weakened. And as our confession says, with this our Conclude. We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and our weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain us in our faith. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, how we bless you. That you are so good to us. We are weak. And we do easily forget your promises. We forget your word. And sometimes truly we are like a man going to a mirror. Who looks at his reflection and we walk away. And we forget what we look like. And likewise when we hear your word sometimes. We're just so easily forget. So easily tempted by the lies of the evil one. Tempted by our own desires. And so Father again want to thank you that you're gracious to us. And you've given us these two signs, these two seals that help us. We pray, Lord, that we will faithfully partake, faithfully proclaim, faithfully receive, and understand what it is you're doing for us in these signs. Tangible signs, tangible seals. What a blessing these are to us. Help us to grasp that. They're not just, just sort of added on extras that we could take or leave as if it didn't matter. These are commands of the Lord, the blessings of the Lord. Acts of grace by God. So, Father, we pray that truly we will understand the significance of them and receive them, knowing that as we do, as we receive them by faith and partake by faith, you will bless us, you will strengthen us, you will nourish us, you will help us, and we'll be servants of Christ as we ought to be. So, Father, continue to bless us, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.